Bruce Malloyne, I asked Bruce to teach for us. Bruce is a professor at Azusa Pacific University. He's someone that I have been friends with for a really, really long time. And we used to meet every Wednesday before the Wednesday service at my church at a Wendy's. And he'd buy me fries and sometimes a Frosty, <laughs> but never would let me pay, even though uh, I could have. I was making okay money. But he never let me pay, and we met and we discussed many of life's issues over fries and a Frosty, once in a while a fountain drink. But Bruce was instrumental in my reconciliation with my father, who I kind of been estranged with at the time. And he's also helped me make some huge decisions like going into pastoral school or not, into leaving my job or not, into moving to the Bay Area or not. Essentially, Bruce has been my Paul and I've been his Timothy, hopefully a good one. But if you could please welcome Bruce. He bought dinner last Sunday. You know, um, about six months ago, I got an email from a student friend of mine, or former student, and we're real close, and his name is Ronnie Rivera, and Ronnie uh, says, hey, Dr. B says, um, I think I'm applying for the um, LAPD. So I put your name down as a reference, hope you don't mind. And then he said, they asked me how old you were, so I told him 100, is that all right? <laughs> so I emailed back and said, I will gladly do the reference, but you can kiss that job goodbye. <laughs> you say, how old are you? Older than you? So I want to talk to you tonight, or this morning rather, about an old man. And the scripture says he was either 80, 81, but this is in Hebrew, and so it could have been two 40s. And 40s is sometimes a round number in Hebrew that means a generation, so he could have been in his 50s. But whatever he is, he was an older man. He was no longer filled with idealism. He had tried the idealistic route, and his name was Moses. We talked a little bit about him last day. He stood up for his people, didn't quite do it gently, killed someone, and then had to run for his life. And of course, he's wanted for murder in Egypt, and he's miles and miles away in the backwoods of the desert. He's gotten married. He's got kids. I'm sure all the youthful idealism has kind of run out his sandals. And he's become a blue-collar worker. He's a shepherd. And so if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to um, Exodus chapter 3. And what we're going to read this morning is considered to be the granddaddy of what are ten examples in the Old Testament of when God calls someone to leave, as God called Albert, to leave a very, very well-paying job. So let's look at it. It's kind of like the quintessential example of this. There's others, uh, Jeremiah 1, Isaiah 6, 1 Samuel 3, 1 Samuel 16, 17, 1 Samuel 9, 10. There's a whole bunch of them in the Old Testament. But this is the, perhaps the most extensive and maybe the most powerful one. So, here we go. Verse 1. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, 
the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, which will later be called Mount Sinai. I got some great advice one time when I was in Fresno. I was talking to this guy who had this goal of running a retail outlet. He just got, he was fascinated by all the, 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 you know, the stress and the vine and shelving and dealing with staff. And he liked that kind of stuff and wanted to do it, thought he could do a good job. And he finally got a job doing that. He was soon their best manager and they moved him to the biggest store they had in the town. But he said something to me that I've never forgotten. He says, the best way to get a job is to have a job, right? I think a lot of guys, a lot of gals want to be a missionary, they want to be in ministry, etc., etc. I used to know a bunch of those at the university, and as I got to know them, and some of them I got to know very well, one of them I went up to one day and I put my arm around his shoulder and I said, would you do God a favor and stay off the mission field? <laughs> you say, you're a very sensitive man, I can tell. He worked for me one summer when I was in agribusiness, and one time one of the guys came up to me and says, I think the crew's gonna kill him. He wasn't well liked. So I began to watch what he did. He just irritated the daylights out of people. In fact, one time one of the foremans came by and he had a 50-foot chain, and he was throwing it in the back of his truck, and he was gonna go haul one of the gals whose car had broken down, and they were gonna go pick it up and haul it for her so she didn't have to pay hauling fees, and you know how to do all that. But they all liked the gal they were hauling the car for. And he had borrowed it, got it in an accident, and abandoned it and didn't offer to pay. And so the non-Christian foreman threw the chain in the back of the truck. And he said, well, I could go get the car or go get that guy and drag him with this chain. What do you think? <laughs> and you say, well, what was wrong with this guy? And I thought, probably what he needed to do was get a job, work with people, figure out how to deal with people, and mature. Or like a very, very well-known missionary one time talked with me. I was at a camp, and he was the mission speaker. And I went to hear his little um, presentation. And he said an interesting thing. He says, changing continents does not change you. And so Moses has stood up for people, paid the price, lost everything and now he's in the backwoods of the desert because he had the courage to stand up for someone and now he's back there he's probably discouraged and he's been back there again the bible says 40 years at least a whole generation herding sheep away from everything and who knows how many countless evenings countless days as he's herding those sheep alone he thought about what he threw away because he cared about someone besides himself. So as we pick it up, it gets rather interesting. Verse 2 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And if you've all seen the prince of Egypt, you know what this looks like. And the Lord God saw that he turned aside to see, and so God called to him from the bush. And what's he say? He says Moses' name. If you're willing to look 
to someone who's in need, the God of the universe will know your name. Maybe nobody else will, but he will. And he said, here I am. He said, don't come near. Take your sandals off. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And then he spoke to Moses, and here it comes. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I think a lot of people have experiences or they see you know someone like Albert and they go Albert's cool everybody likes Albert or you've seen some pastor and they get to stand behind these boxes and that seems cool on down the line and you want to be in ministry but the God that calls you to ministry is a God who's rather frightening and so the first thing he says is you need to know the rules lose your shoes get on your knees you need to know that I'm the Lord, not you. But then there's something else about this God. He knows Moses' name, and he goes out of his way to say, by the way, Moses, you and I have history, okay? I was in Africa a few summers ago. One of my other students is in the mission field there, and he talked me into flying into uh, Nairobi and then uh, he did give me a cup of coffee, and then we drove for six hours. The coffee was good. For six hours to a little town, and we stayed the night there, and then we drove another four hours until we were in the deserts of northern Kenya. It's in really deserts, and we are just a few miles from the equator. And if you've ever been in the San Joaquin Valley and thought it was hot, that's nothing. This place was something. But as I got there... I met the most amazing people. And I met one of the native pastors who, when I came home, my wife says, well, my husband went to Africa and thought he has met the 21st century Apostle Paul. I was. I'm absolutely, I was so amazed at this man as I met him and got to know him. And then one time we were out in the bush, and in, those, in that area, there's no microphones, there's no electricity. They just beat drums, and the people know Christians will preach. And so they came, and they lit a bonfire, and they began to sing. It was amazing to listen to them. And I'm standing back there with Benson, the 21st century Apostle Paul of Kenya. And he's, by the way, planted 550 churches. Doesn't own a car nor a bike. Just walks everywhere. And has almost been killed, last time we talked, nine times. Got shot in the chest one time. They missed his heart by a half an inch, and... When they got him to the hospital, the nurse looked, oh, it's you. She says, miracle boy, you'll live. Somehow you'll live. <laughs> Amazing guy to know. And just a, a real good man. And so we're sitting back there talking. The kids are singing. You know, the young people are singing. And I said, you know, it's beautiful. You know, there's no neon lights. There's nothing you can see. There's actually stars. I don't know if you guys knew that. If you've lived in the cities in L.A., we don't see stars. Smog, no stars. And as we're looking up there, I said, Benson, I said, uh, who did your people worship before missionaries came? I said, how many gods were they? What were their names? He says, gods? He says, we worshiped he who made all that you see, Bruce. So I said, what do you teach now? 
that he has sent his son? He says, precisely. And they are connecting, because God loves every human on the earth, and they were connecting what they had sensed of God. And he was now showing them the, you know, the beauties and the purities of the Christian faith. And Benson is a great preacher. I got to watch him. You say, what did he say? Well, I don't know. I don't speak Tarkana. But I was on my knees because there are no chairs in the desert. And I got up my knees so I could look at the audience because I was kind of sitting up front with all the little boys, which was actually a lot of fun. And then they watched him. And when he spoke, he spoke very quietly and very calmly. And everybody's eyes were fixed, listening. But see, he wasn't bringing a foreign God, so to speak. He was saying, let me show you what God's been trying to say. Here's the purity of the, the revelation of God to the world. There's some connections now, back and forth. So he says, I'm not something new to you, Moses. I'm the God of your fathers. So let me show you much clearer now who the God of the fathers is. Because all of us have screwed up ideas about God. And when we get called by God, part of what he starts to do is show us who he is. And we have to straighten up some of those concepts. So now he does this for Moses. Watch what he says. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a land good and broad, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and then a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. What Moses is learning is the God who made the worlds with his voice never forgets a promise he made. And he promised a few Bedouin named Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would make of them a gift to the entire world. And now this group has grown. It's become numerous. It's moved down into Egypt at the invitation of the Pharaoh of Egypt. But as time went on, the Egyptians forgot and politically, it became advantageous for the Egyptians to enslave these Hebrew peoples. And now they're slaves, and they've been pushed around and kicked in the teeth. And so the first thing you learn about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you're Moses, is this God cares about those who get kicked around. And then I often talk to people, and they, I remember one of my students said, I'd like to talk to you about something, and um, so I made an appointment. She says, you want to know why I made the appointment? And I said, no. I said, I don't know, but go ahead. Well, why, why? She says, because Joey said, I can talk with you. And you said, well, who was Joey? Joey was one of the nicest Christians we had at the entire university. He also had a full beard that came out like this. He had those earrings where they keep sticking things in until they get him as big as about 50 cents, you know, or 25 cents. And he had ear piercing, nose piercings. I don't know, you could hang, you know, like a, a shop, you know, from his face. And um, he had more tattoos. In fact, I think there was some clear skin somewhere. You say, this was your best Christian? What kind of school is this? Oh, we're a great school. We have Joey. 
And she saw Joey and she thought, Joey and the professor like this. And the, Joey went up to her and says, oh, no, he's easy to talk to. He would love to talk with you. And she thought, oh, I don't think a professor would want to talk to me because I've made mistakes. I have a bad past. He wouldn't care at all. But see, Joey said she could come and talk. And I think there's a lot of people in the world that don't think the God of the Bible wants to talk with them. And they're wrong. He's watching all the things that oppress them. He sees it. It bothers him. And so here's what he does. Look at verse 10. He says, come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, Moses is wanted for murder in Egypt. So here's Moses' response. But Moses said to God, oh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, that sounds rather humble, doesn't it? Oh, I'm not important enough. What do you think was really behind his answer? You're wanted for murder. <laughs> the last time you were there, your own people thought you were an idiot. You're going to beat me up now. Remember that story? You've seen the Prince of Egypt or Sisu Bibu Mill's version. He wasn't super well received even by his own people the last time he was there. He had tried the deliverance thing or at least the caring thing and it all backfired. And besides, how do you tell the most powerful man on earth that you would like to take a major section of his economy away because the Israelites were free labor? That's a massive amount of capital. You are aware in the ancient world when they conquered a city, they hauled the people off. Do you know why? The people were more valuable than gold because you could use the labor. And so to go to, to the greatest nation on earth and tell them, oh, by the way, I've been talking to some interesting shrubbery in the desert and you are to completely ruin the Egyptian economy because of my discussions with the shrubbery. So why he said, oh, who am I? The answer by God is rather interesting. It's in verse 12. And he said, but I'll be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Could I translate this for you? God basically said, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are. It matters who I am. And I've talked to countless people who have found God, and they did not find it through the people who were super competent, who had PhDs in Bible or whatever. They found it from people who just obeyed God and shared their faith. But if God's with you, you're going to win. You're going to succeed. And he says, I'm with you. And here's the proof. And when I first read this, I thought, oh, that's a catch-22. How do you know I'm with you? Well, when you succeeded. Have you ever thought about that? Now think about that. You'll know I'm with you when you bring this huge nation out of Egypt, totally against the will of the most powerful military force on earth. And then you can come here and worship on this mountain. And so I don't know what Moses was thinking, but here's what he says. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, they'll ask me, what is his name? And what shall I say to them? 
Now, a little background here from you know us scholars who have nothing to, better to do with our lives than read a lot of ancient stuff. If you read ancient Egyptian history, you begin to realize the Egyptian people actually were quite religious and it was a very high religion. In fact, the Egyptian people had broken their own religion when they enslaved the Jews. But there's a peculiar element to Egyptian religion that was worldwide, but it was highly specialized in Egypt. And that was, if you knew the secret name of the deity, you could compel the deity to do your bidding. So no one really knew the secret name of Amun-Ra, the great Egyptian god, except the high priest or all Thoth or all the many gods that Egypt had. If you knew the secret name, you could compel them. And so basically Moses is saying, if you'll give me your secret name under the guise of me telling my people what your name is, then when they come to kill me, I can speak the name and maybe a force field will go up or something. Or they'll all go blind or whatever. And so basically I think what he's asking for is some sort of guarantee. And here is God's answer. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or in Hebrew, Yichyeh, Asher, Yichyeh. Which better translated means this. I will be what I will be. That's my name. How many of you have ever asked for your wife's hand in marriage? Went to the parents and asked. Didn't you, didn't I? Okay, it's kind of a tradition that's fading, but it's a good one. Or gals, what if some guy who you really like kind of comes and says, I'd like you to marry me, and you're all excited. You say, well, you have to meet my dad, and he's willing to do that, which that means that's a good plus, by the way. If he's not, maybe you might want to look around and see who else is available. But let's say you go, and the, the dinner there, and you're, the, the mother of the bride cooks this great meal, and you have this great meal and your hopeful fiancé has behaved himself and didn't spill on his tie or anything. And then the mother clears the table and you leave and now there's just the father of the bride and the fiancé all alone. And he looks over at the young man and he says, Now tell me, young man, what are you going to do with your life? Is that a good question to ask? Do you know why he would ask it? And your answer, if you're that guy, you go, Oh, I will be what I will be. <laughs> will that work? You who is taking notes. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Let me tell you what I think God just told Moses. There are no guarantees, Moses. God gave Moses the most generic name possible to give in the Hebrew language. I will be what I will be. In the context, what he will be is the savior of his people. He is the God of righteousness, of compassion, of love that never ends. But love that's consistent when we're not consistent. But no guarantees when you follow him. No easy road. While I was at camp, they uh, showed us some of the history of the missionary efforts to Nigeria. Did you know that the missionaries that left England to Nigeria when they first started that, every missionary traveled on the boat from England with his own coffin? and the vast majority of them died within six months. It was malaria that took almost all of them out. The Nigerian people actually killed very few, if any. The Nigerian people were very gracious people. But they went anyway. No guarantees. They just went. And if you go to Africa today, 
Africa is pounding with the resurgence of Christianity. It's going everywhere. And they say the center of that fire is Nigeria. It sends more missionaries than any other country. But it all started with some people who went without any guarantees. And here he says, I will be what I will be. But then he follows it. You say to the people that what I will be has sent you. I am has sent you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people, the Lord, the God of your fathers, and he goes back to this title, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you, and this is my name forever, and thus I will always be remembered through all generations. And of course, we now translate that name as the Lord in English in your Bibles. Underneath that word in English, probably Albert showed you, is Yahweh or Yahweh. We don't know how to say it anymore because the Jews stop saying it lest they take it in vain. But this, it's about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. But we usually translate it capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He says, this will be my name for all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I've observed you and what's been done to you, and I promise that I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, and again, all those names. And then look at this, to a land flowing with milk and honey. You go, was that a sticky land? Isn't that the first thing that kind of comes to your mind? There's honey everywhere. Let me translate. How do you get honey? From bees. Where are you going to find a lot of bees? There's a lot of flowers, a lot of produce blooming, a lot of trees. I worked all those years in the agricultural fields. We often rented bees for our bell pepper crops or our melon crops, and it would triple many times our production. This was going to be a land that could support good agriculture. In other words, you can live off this land. And this took whole new meanings for me when I was in Africa because we were down in Tarkana and there is no farming there. And there is no one in the entire village that I was there that had any fat on their bodies. They ate one meal a day. And if they tried to get out of the desert, then the people who controlled the other lands would fight with them. And so they survived. They were tough people. And so a land of milk and honey would mean to the ancient world, this is a land that's agriculturally because it's got bees and therefore honey. And then milk means there's lots and lots of grass to support the cattle so that you get the milk. In other words, this land had good farming and it had good resources to raise cattle. And those were the two major occupations in the ancient world ever since mankind has been up until just recently. The two major occupations of all people all over the planet was either a farmer or a herdsman, and this land would support both. Let me show you what God's telling Moses to tell the people. I'm going to save you from slavery, but I'm going to do more than get you out of slavery. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you dignity. I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to give you dignity where you can feed your family. You will own the land. In the ancient world, usually only the rich had land. But when you get further into what God showed Moses, every family owned land. 
Are you aware that the only thing you can now deduct interest-wise in the federal laws? You can deduct the interest on your mortgage for your home. We took that from the Jews and we applied it nationwide because we want everyone to own a little piece of land, if that's possible. Because there's something about that. God was going to give these people dignity. And I've watched this happen. When God gets inside of people, the next thing that starts stirring inside of them is they want to have dignity. They want to have dignity for their children. They want to have dignity for their spouse. And that's part of the whole process. The God who saves is a full savior. He's going to get them out of slavery, but he's going to give them more than just freedom from slavery. And Moses has got the privilege of announcing all this. And he's given some instructions. Some of them are rather interesting towards the end of the chapter. They're also going to get back wages. Did you see that? In verse 21, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will not go empty-handed. But each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver, gold, and jewelry and clothing. And they will put them on your sons and daughters. And so you'll plunder the Egyptians. Not because they were stealing, but because they worked for 150 years for nothing. And God was going to get them back wages going to get them justice. And I love Moses' response. Verse 1, chapter 4. All right, God, this is cool. When's the next camel train? Oh, I'm sorry. Got to buy glasses that cost more than $10 sometimes. Okay. Ah, here. What's Moses say to God? They won't believe me. And I love this. God says, stick your hand inside your coat. And Moses is a little bit afraid, so he does. Now pull it out, God says, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous, which must have freaked him out. Just put it back in, puts it back in. Pull it out, and it's clean. Then he says, throw your staff on the ground. And this would have freaked me out. I don't like snakes. And he threw the thing on the thing, and it becomes a snake, and he says, now grab it. That would have freaked me even further out. Um, but Moses, somehow, I guess being a desert guy, was more familiar with how to handle snakes, and he reached over and he grabbed the tail of the snake and boom, it was a stick again. He says, show them that. And they gave him a third sign about pouring water out and it would turn to blood. And he says, there, go show them that. You want a sign there? And then for the fourth time, Moses responds and he says, um, you know, I don't speak well. I don't know if he felt, you know, while he was hurting one time and got a speech impediment. We don't know. But he says, I don't speak well. Like maybe, I don't know if he stuttered. We don't know. He just says, I don't speak well. You know I haven't for a long time. And God says, who made the mouth? And then I like the fifth response of Moses. If you don't mind, if I step away, he goes, thank you, God. But no thanks. Send someone else. And then the anger of God began to burn. I don't know what that looked like, but Moses took the job. This is the greatest man in the Old Testament. No one in the Old Testament is greater than Moses. Moses' gift to his people and to us every day all over the world, the planet is better off because Moses has lived. He's influenced Islam. He's influenced Christians massively. And the Jewish people and in other, many other forms, other people's. But he was afraid, and he didn't want the job, 
and he gave God multiple excuses, up to four, and if I could just summarize these exchanges, it would go like this. Moses, your people. And Moses would say, oh, no, no, no. Uh, who am I? I don't speak well. They won't believe me. I need protection. I need your secret name. <laughs> and God keeps saying, every time God answers his questions, he comes back and goes, Moses. And he gives him more and more of the plan. The people, the people. And Moses keeps going, no, me, me, me. God goes, no, others, others, others. And Moses, me, me, me. Maybe God wants to call us because if we help out with the kids or if we do the homeless ministry or whatever it thinks, some of you, he may just totally ruin your career. Some of you better stop praying. And you never know. You're not immune age-wise. Moses is an old sucker. But he's calling us to do his bidding. His calling is not about our aggrandizement. His calling is not about our being special. It's not our, our religious career or our religious proclivities, etc., etc. It's just for the sake of others. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. And in that, he says, is the entire Old Testament. You've got it in a nutshell. And maybe when God calls us to help others, maybe the person most helped is us. Years ago, when I was about 15, my um, pastor came over to visit. He had been kicked out because he was a very forward-serving person, and he had stepped on the toes of some very powerful rich men in the church, and they didn't like his... But he was a great Bible teacher. He made the Bible sing. But the people loved him. The church was growing, but these few powerful people got him kicked out. But he had always been good to me, and I just adored this guy. And, and I knew he was going to visit my parents. I was so excited. You know, I sat in the back, and he was sitting there talking. But I was in the back being really quiet, and I thought, ooh, that cool guy's here. I really like this guy. He's the kind of guy you can just talk to. No matter how great a preacher he was, he was like Albert. You just kind of go up and talk to him. And if you sign those cards, you know, if you ever do have to talk to Albert, it won't be bad. And he turned to my mother, and he says, what do you think that one's going to do, looking at me? And he says, you think that one will be a preacher? And I said, um, no, um, veterinarian, thank you, lawyer, but no, 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 no preaching. And he says, oh. And then I said, well, I'm going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a veterinarian, but this doctrine of hell bugs me. It just bugs me that people would die and go to hell. Then he turned to my mother and he says, that one will preach. I go, no, 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 lawyer, veterinarian, and I was sunk. Years later, he started to come after that defenseless little boy. But you know what? I don't think all of us should be preachers, but all of us should be doing everything we can for those who have need. And maybe in our doing of that, our own salvation is connected. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Here's our master communion leader. I think those of you who are new, taking communion here is very simple. At your choice, if you wish to, you grab one of the um, crackers, and there's several places you can do that at, and you dip it in the wine and take it and then sit down. And if you don't wish to, that's okay. This is always offered here at Regeneration. And can I pray with you before we do that? Father, we thank you that you call all of us 
and then you call all of us to do something that probably scares us. And some of you will call us totally out of our jobs and make us leave and do very strange things. But Father, you're going to be with us if you call us. And we will succeed to the task you've called. We thank you for this, Lord. We hope we stay obedient. And we do really well at the jobs we're doing now because that's what Moses was doing. He was herding sheep. Father, bless us this day. And Father, may you bring your word deep and deep, back and again and again into our memories. For we ask this, we ask this in your son's name, in Jesus' name. Amen.